great episode for you all today um of course we are first going to just run through a bit of news updates from events things like that things that have been going on in the flesh and blood landscape then we're going to talk about the calling the tournament my own tournament report how it went for me all those kind of things then we're going to jump in to talk a little bit about the draft format feedback that we had on the ground before finishing up by running through the calling feedback form that i put out earlier this week i've had 25 responses so i figure it's a good time to sit down through the data and talk through what people actually think about the calling how it went and what our opinions on are on that so hello and welcome to another episode of steel first speaks as always i am Steelfer, aka finbar london blaze flesh and blood player and of course one of your premium sources for flesh and blood discussions analysis and content um we are in an exciting time in flesh and blood at the moment uh the national qualification period has just wrapped up um people are trying to figure out now whether or not they are on the list how they're getting on um it is quite interesting in terms of like news to consider the different xp ranges that are required to qualify in each country currently and for those of you who aren't aware of this quite interesting the cutoff point for qualifying by experience for uk nationals is 220 um, which, you know, is about 80 armory wins, give or take, um, you know, plus maybe um, 30 wins at Rota Nationals, right? So you have to be a very, very serious contender in the UK to qualify for our national championships at that level, which has led to some speculation by the UK player base that Nats should have really been bigger um, to make it less, not less competitive to get in, but to broaden the the applicability of people who could get in because if you go down to even adding another 30 40 people suddenly the xp cutoff range drops from 230 40 down to 150 and suddenly becomes a lot more manageable for more casual um, players but still competitive players still people who are winning to make their way to the national championships really it depends on the feeling of the national championships do you want it to be this hardcore competitive event or do you want it to be um, a more welcoming event that a lot of people in the country can get to but on the one hand you've got countries which still have a small base and they have a really open um environment right um where you can show up and play and there's only got 50 60 people national championships is it really fair that someone like the uk gets that much more competitive just because we have a much more active player base or should it still be a bit bigger to welcome in more people obviously there are size constraints as well the store that's being run in can seat about 200 um, but they do want to run side events as well so having a 96 person tournament makes a lot of sense but you know each country is going to be different you can understand that lss is happy to run it in a venue um a store rather than actually renting a venue as that increases the costs of running nationals all over the place so there are a lot of considerations going on here it's just interesting as a sort of talking point first thing up on the news it's just that nationals qualifications are coming out there and of course each country is going to have to look at how competitive it is how hard was it to get that xp you know could you get there just by going to one armory a week and being the person who goes 3-0 or do you have to go to multiple road to nationals do you have to go to callings do you have to grind at the pro tour like all of these things and in the uk the top players have had to do that they've gone to rtns you know three four five they've gone to multiple armories a week they've had to go to callings and things like that battle hardens to get their qualification or of course top four a road to nationals i personally did not top four road to nationals i top aided a few of them but i haven't really been practicing or playing that much during the season so like obviously i wasn't going to 
be as ready as I have been in the past to win as I was, for example, in the ProQuest, because, of course, when a new set comes out, you have to be ready to put in those reps. Other news, of course, we have had the Calling Utrecht finish. We have had the Battle Hardens there as well. Uh, the European Championship battle, which was everyone who's top-aided at a Battle Hardened um, Nationals uh, or a Calling or the, did a certain... Um, raid at the pro tour as well got an invite uh, i unfortunately didn't get an invite i haven't actually played that many battle hardens i've had to skip a lot of them but um you know i was watching it on the day we had quite a wide field and even the top eight represents that we had you know two fives three prisms a briar an ultim and a bravo ultimately phi won um, which is quite interesting of course because phi also won the main calling um, where the top cut was three Fies, a Viserai, two Briars, a Bravo, and a Dromai. Um, the Dromai, I think, surprised everyone, but, you know, I know the pilot, and he has quite a good deck, so that's, you know, and he also put in lots and lots of reps, so he would have probably caught quite a few people off guard. Fi also catching quite a few people off guard, though, you know, some of us have been saying for a while, you know, it is looking like Fi is one of the premier aggro decks, which means that once people to start to solve the puzzle of putting the aggro deck together the amount of damage that it can put out drastically increases this is why a lot of people who tried fi in week one of the new set in week two of the new set and said hey it feels very linear it's just doing damage but it doesn't really feel like it's getting there didn't really appreciate that if they kept going um and kept optimizing fi it would actually get there and it would put the pieces together to do stupid well we're not stupid but lots of damage on a specific turn so that's kind of like what we've seen is that Fi has kind of come out here as just this premier aggro deck that is actually capable of doing one-turn kills with very little setup. Um, a few people are already sort of suggesting, hey, is this too strong? Starting to ask that question, and similar to the way that that question was asked about Starvro, um, it is important to note that like Fi has 150, um, 58 living legend points now, but 100 of those came from the calling. So it's not like he has suddenly taken off out of nowhere. He's not necessarily going to do what Starbro did, but it is definitely on people's watch lists. And I guarantee you people are currently trying to put the pieces together and figure out what the meta counter to Fi is. Is it Bravo? Mm, I don't know on that one yet. Um, I've been playing a bit of Bravo into Fi and it's very hard to actually get a sufficient amount of control in to make Fi stop what they're doing. They can usually find ways around it. But is it something like Old Him or Icelander? coming in with a very control sort of oriented um, ability to sort of shut down turns and interfere with Fi's um, upward potential. Because obviously if you're taxing him with resources or cards, he's not necessarily going to be able to hit the amount of damage that he can pull off. Other things that have happened since I last recorded an episode, uh, the PGC partnership has happened. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, I'm sure most of you are now, uh, Premier Card get Grading has made it basically arranged a partnership with lss which is going to guarantee that all prizes given out at national championships battle hardens and pro quests are all going to be a grade nine or above card and, and every card given out at a calling is going to come graded by P pcg as a 9.5 or better and then everything that doesn't meet that quality is being destroyed now a lot of people have sort of been speculating about this that it's going to reduce the price of graded cards because if every card is special no card is and the reality is that we're at sort of the stage in the market where you know these cards are worth something you know they're still going to be 9.5s 10s etc 
But really what LSS are trying to address here, which is very, very good for them to address, is just the fact that a lot of prize cards have been coming damaged, right, to people. Um, I know, you know, my own tunic came out at a nine, but it was very, you know, one or two things. It was an 8.5, for example. Um, I've seen other people's prize cards coming out damaged, you know, seven, six in terms of grading with scuffed corners and edges and things. And it's just the reality that when you're shipping these prize cards all over the place, you don't know how they're going to be stored. You don't know how they're going to be packaged. They could just get damaged in transit, but they could also just get damaged um, along the way. So you're trying to think of a situation where LSS are trying to guarantee that cards are of a certain standard so that there's no negative feeling when someone opens a card. And this is what you, you don't want, right? You're sitting there, you've got this unopened envelope. Someone pays you two grand for it. They open it and it's really just really, really damaged, right? Or you're sitting there and you open it yourself and the card comes out and it's like, oh, it's Snapdragons. I've always wanted this card. And then you see there's like a giant tear down the side or something horrible, right? An LSS might feel obligated to replace that. They might not. There's loads of things that go in there. But ultimately, what we're talking about is just a negative experience that doesn't need to happen. So by bringing an external QA process in, something that LSS potentially don't have the time or the staff to do themselves right now, they can guarantee the quality of these cards. Now, the gold foils that come from ProQuest, Battlehards, and National Championships aren't going to be graded. This is important. They're just going to have a guaranteed quality of 9.9 .9 plus, right? All that means is that someone has looked at it for long enough to say, yeah, that's probably a nine, smacked it in an envelope, it's going to be protected, and they're going to send it out to you, right? Okay. For the other ones, it's going to come 9.5 or higher, right? That means it could be a 10. You're not going to know as the person who's going to win it. The judges and people like that aren't going to know. LSS aren't going to give them out with a certain like, you know, oh, let's give out 10s this tournament because it's bigger. Let's give out 9.5s these tournaments because it's bigger. All it means is there's going to be a stack of slabs that have these ratings on and every single one they're sending out is going to be guaranteed to be of this rate or higher, right? And that's very important because again, it just, it just removes the negativity. You open a card and it doesn't look great and you've spent an entire weekend winning it. You know, the cost of PCG slabs... The cost of this process, I mean, it's cost, what, $35 to get a PCG card slabbed. It's not going to greatly increase the value of these cards. It's not going to, you know, one thing it will do is basically increase the volume of 9.5 quality copies of these cards running around, right? Um, which is something, you know, collectors should be aware of that, you know, at the moment there is a chance for these cards to be 7, 8, 6, whatever, you know. Um, when they all become 9.5, obviously 9.5 is going to become a lot less rarer in terms of these prize pools. But let's also remember that the number of these being given out at that level, Pro's Tour, Pro Tour Champion prize cards, calling champion prize cards, those are the only two they're talking about, are going to be 9.5 or better, right? That means that at the moment, if we think about Crown of Providence, that is a one-of-one. If we think about the Pro Tour Champion Prize card, that's the the chain that was won by Pablo Pintor when he won the Pro Tour. That is a one of one. So you know they're not going to give out tons of these every year. It's going to be five Crown of Providences, one pro, maybe two Pro Tour Champion Prize cards, and you know is it, the market there is for people who want these cards as collectibles because there are so few of them. It's not going to suddenly change because they're all nine point five or above. The one that's a 10 might be worth more, but the others are still going to be, you know, still desirable because there's just going to be so few of them. OK, so that's just something I think it's worth to discuss. Um, so let's move on then a bit of talk about news. I mean, obviously, Road to Nationals is finished. Um, you know, 
Azalea still has one of the living legend points. Shock and surprise there. Um, you know, Uprising is selling well everywhere I know. Uh, people are very excited for the Marvel uh, heroes from history packs. Um, people are quite enjoying that as well, which is quite nice. Um, you know, but that's kind of it really for the news. I mean, we're still waiting on details, some details about Leal. We're still waiting on any sort of announcements about um, any other callings and things that happen this year. There's another one in Singapore, but um, any ones that are happening in Europe or the UK or that kind of thing. Worlds has been announced, but we haven't really got any details about how you can qualify. Can you gift a PTI, etc. It's really important for LSS to get that information out as soon as possible. Like we can't really, you know, like, for example, if I don't know how, you know, how I'm going to get to Worlds, I can't book, book flights now. Um, but if there's a chance I could qualify. But yeah, that kind of thing needs to come out. In fact, you'll see later on when we talk about feedback from Utrecht. But one of the big pieces of feedback was that the LSS really, the LSS? LSS really does need to publish a calendar of some description that gets the dates of, at least when they think things are going to happen, um, out there so that people can, um, you know, give an idea of how they're going to handle this, right? Um, so let's move on, I guess, to talk about my own little tournament report from the calling Utrex. So this isn't the feedback from the calling that I've got from my survey. This is just my own tournament report. Um, so obviously I was there on Friday, but I wasn't qualified for the EU Champions report. So I played in the Uprising Sealed event. Um, it was all right. I built a fire deck. I won 3-0. I won three fire mirrors, and then I lost a fire mirror for 4-0. Uh, so I went 3-1. Uh, the top five tables were all five. Everyone was playing five. They had a decent set of five cards. Even people who had a decent set of Icelander cards were still playing five. It really does just seem in sealed that he has the easiest deck to play, the most straightforward. A lot of people were playing him because he was very comfortable for that reason. So in sealed, certainly it feels like five is very easy to build, very, um, very nice, I would say. And like the thing, of course, to remember is that he... You know, he has this wonderful feeling of, of coming together quite easily, whereas the other heroes have much more specific requirements. And I only saw one person in that sealed event who got what I would consider to be a, you know, a godly Icelander pool. And that person was fully capable of beating down any of the Fies. But they were still playing Fi when I when I saw them originally because they just thought the deck was much more comfortable. And they were also 3-0. They just changed to Icelander for the last... For the sorry, they were also 2-0, and they changed to Icelander for the last round just to give it a bit of a try. Um, then I played a Chaos um, Shapeshifter Sealed. We'll talk about this again later as well. But it's really like the feedback from me for that event is that two things are needed to make Chaos Shapeshifter Sealed work. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, Chaos Shapeshifter Sealed, you get six packs from six different sets. You can play any hero and their weapon. So you have to play the weapon of the hero. This rule does keep changing. Um, and you can play any of the armor, you can play any cards you want from any class. Um, but of course, where it says, you know, you need to fuse with a nice card, you have to fuse with a nice card. If it says target ninja attack gets plus three, you have to, you know, target a ninja attack, that kind of thing. There are two main flaws with the format. It is quite fun. You do get to play lots of random stuff together. There are two main flaws. Uh, the first flaw is arcane damage. Um, arcane damage, you can imagine that only... Um, only the Arcane Rising pack has the chance to have Null Rune unless you get specific pieces of class-based equipment. 
um, in like Uprising and stuff like that. So the odds of you getting Null Rune is very low. And because of that, Arcane Damage is greatly, greatly favoured when it comes to winning. Um, the other thing, of course, to remember is that um, you can play all the cards, which means you can play any three blocks you get, which means that a lot of the format comes down to me playing like a 50-card deck full of three blocks and just fatiguing anyone, either with Katsu if I can have zero-cost um, yellows and blues, or with Rhinar, um, or with Briar, or, you know, any number of ways to fatigue people, you know. So you're either winning with Arcane Damage or Fatigue, um, so really that format needs to acknowledge those issues and basically give everyone default null rune two on a token or um and also make a deck size maximum like 35 cards so that people have to actually pursue a strategy rather than pursue something else i would also say that like you don't lose anything by making cards that say your next ninja attack gets plus three um applicable to every card that you play um, I think that really opens up the format widely. So those are my three pieces of main feedback for that. We'll talk about that a bit more later, but just my own experiences, I decided to go heavily on Arcane instead of doing Fatigue and then ended up just losing to people who had Arcane Barrier and could Fatigue me. And I just got pretty fed up of playing that format pretty quickly. Uh, then I played the Calling Main Event. Um, I did not do very well, unfortunately. Despite having a fair bit of draft practice, um, I essentially just drafted what i thought was quite a good deck i drafted icelander um i played some really close games in the first draft unfortunately close games when you start off a big tournament with a draft means that when you lose those games if you lose those games um you basically are out of the running for the tournament pretty much straight away so i went one two in the first draft um after playing three very close games winning one losing two of them by one or two points of life and partly just due to which of my opponents went first and who went second etc um, and then I went into the second draft, obviously in a very, you know, we'll say low down pod where people were drafting very weirdly. And I just did another one, two, sorry, another, uh, what did I do in the second draft? I think I went two, one in the second draft, right? So I came into the, um, CC part of the calling, having gone three, two and just needing to basically win every single game uh to get my way into day two um spoilers did not happen um i was playing bravo in the constructed portion of the event i thought it would be a good choice into all of the fies i've since started to question that choice but it, i think on the on the day when i was expecting a bit more viscerai i thought it was a fairly good choice um and then i got alexi which was fine bravo beats lexi so i beat lexi then um, just, you know, blocking, sending out a hammer, blocking, sending out a dominated, sending out an attack, you know, just pretty, pretty standard sort of stuff. Then, unfortunately, I got an Icelander. Um, Icelander's not like a terrible matchup for Bravo, but it really kind of depends on how quickly he gets his engine online um, versus how quickly I kill him. So I was basically smacking him with these dominates, blocking Arcane when it made sense, and I got him down to one life. Um, and that was the point when he got his triple insidious chill double frost sorry double frost hex double amulet of ice lock on me and after that he took me from 30 life to zero in about three turns because he was just giving me frost hex uh frostbites and i would take tons of damage because i couldn't play anything because i had to pitch um discard my entire hand to insidious chill so when that lock kicks in you're basically dead bravo can race icelander you know, I think I would actually be favoured in that match if I just keep throwing out dominates. But, you know, it's still quite early in testing to say that. 
Then I played a Dorinthia. This is a matchup I have a reasonable amount of experience with. Um, I, you know, I have played Bravo a bit before, but I've played into Dorinthia a lot with other heroes. So I know how to block her, but also she was running the Resplendent Dawnblade, which is um, an interesting choice. Um, the thing about running Resplendent Dawnblade is that if you get a counter on it with Glistening Steelblade, um, it doesn't go away. So she was running a deck that was very heavy into um, Steelblade, um, sorry, Twinning Blade, Dustpass Pilgrimage, and things like that to get that third attack on the weapon. So you can set up a turn with like um, Glistening Steelblade and hit three times, or maybe even four, and get basically that wonderful, you know, four, three counters on that never go away. Um, which is really interesting. Didn't work versus me. Um, you know, I pretty much pretty comfortably won that game just blocking when I needed to, hammering when I needed to. Um, as I say, I've got a lot of experience blocking Dorinthia. The only thing that made me sweat slightly in that game was an Iron Song Determination with a double Steel Blade Supremacy. But what can you do, right? That happens sometimes. Uh, but I won that game. Then I went into a game versus Lexi. And this is where really, you know, and I've said this before, like I haven't had the number of reps I want with decks this season. I haven't had a number of reps with what people have changed in the medicine uprising. I've just had family stuff on, life stuff on, work stuff on. I haven't been able to get as many reps as I would like. Um, and I've just also just generally been tired. Like the, the schedule for events has been very aggressive this year and I have been loving it. I've been loving traveling to all these places with my friends, but there is also an element of just tiredness, you know, from constantly having to learn a new meta, right? Now, if I was casting all these events, I wouldn't be necessarily so tired because I could show up with less reps on decks and just help my friends test without worrying about uh, my own experience. But as a player, I find that it gets a bit tiring if I want to go through all these things. So next year, I may not have such an aggressive schedule um, unless there's casting to be done. Um, I would, in fact, just probably go to a few less callings, etc., etc. But um, my point is reps always win out, right? Um, and because they let you feel more comfortable in the decks so and when you make decisions, you know, you follow through with them when you have logic, you know whether or not it's a good call or a bad call. And versus Lexi, basically, the situation was he played double Art of War and then attacked with an endless arrow. And in my head, I'm saying to myself, he probably has a Rain Razors, but he's already played two of them. And if I take this hand, um, I can probably crush him with this and then it will do what I want him to do. So in my head, I was like, I should block this for at least nine. So if he Rain Razors, I still get, I get rid of the endless arrow. But because of reps with the deck and just you know having a real losing streak and not you know not being as focused on the game as i would be if i was on x and o or something like that i basically blocked for six i didn't follow through with my own logic and then he played uh rate razor uh, rain razors endless arrow hit for two he took it back to his hand attacked with it again for eight i blocked as much as i could then he put it in with bullseye's braces attacked again for eight and he basically took away 20 points of life lead on one turn which could have been solved by a simple block and at that point i was like i'm actually this is getting going to be kind of rough to come back from this um but you know i ground him ground him ground him and then eventually just lost um at the end um you know but that game was completely mine to lose and that was my main calling tournament report um you know it didn't go very well mostly because of the draft at the start i scuffed the draft which put me in a weird place um in my pairings and then i lost one too many games because i had to have everything on the line right from the start um i will say so my thoughts on starting with a draft into cc personally i don't really like it i feel like drafts are skill based but they're not the sort of skill that i necessarily want to bring to a big tournament 
Um, I much more prefer just playing with a deck I can get tons of reps in, I can pick the meta in, I can make calls in, rather than going into a draft and trying to come up with things on the fly and figure out what people are doing and stuff like that. And also, like there, I feel like there is a lot more variance in draft formats, which isn't necessarily true in a constructed format where people are prepared for it in a specific way. So I feel like I don't like having that variance first thing where, as I said, I had very close games, but I lost you know, by these tiny margins. And if I hadn't done that, then I would have been ranked much higher in the final final score because I went 2-2 in the constructed. And if I hadn't gone 1-2 in the draft, I wouldn't have ended up on 3-4 in the tournament, right? Um, I could have done a lot better. So, you know, I don't know. I prefer pure CC events, I think. Um, we'll talk about Uprising Draft in a second. So on to the second, the th sorry, the third day, I guess, of the tournament, which was going into the Battle Harden. This Battle Harden was two draft pods, followed by a top eight draft cut, right? Um, honestly, I just completely scuffed my entire first draft. Um, I had good Icelander cards. Um, I had about four blues, and the Icelander cards kind of dried up, and I just kind of got a read that there were two other Icelanders in my pod, and I didn't want to be the third like one of three Icelanders because I feel like that's a recipe for losing so I kind of just got this feeling that there weren't that many Icelanders at the same time I was being passed stuff like lava bursts and things like that so I pivoted to five quite late I think I picked nine um and then obviously I'd misread it so the cards for ninja dried up faster than I would have hoped um, I still got a decent five deck together with three phoenix flames and two crap balls which is not ideal and no equipment, but it was still enough to win a game. Obviously, it wasn't great. Uh, the annoying thing about that was, of course, if I had stuck to my guns, the Icelander Blues that were coming around in pack three, because there was only one other Icelander at the table, were actually fire. So I should have just stuck to my guns, kept drafting Icelander, um, and I would have been fine. In the second draft, I genuinely don't know how I lost um, two games in the second draft. I literally drafted... Um, one of the most disgusting like Fidex I had seen the weekend. It was full of go again. It was full of reds. It was really full of damage. Um, I guess, and th then I got paired up against basically both of our pods, Icelanders, um, which is obviously how I lost because I was paired up against those Icelanders. But even then, I was doing like silly damage to these Icelanders. Um, I, you know, one of them I lost to um, just because I drew four reds and then three reds and a yellow instead of a blue. Um, and that was in my deck with nine blues where I should get one every turn. I just drew three of them in my opening hand and then they were not in the deck. They were at the bottom. And then I was just sitting there being like, I have a frostbite and I actually can't do anything. And he survived on one life and successfully killed me. It was really scuffed. Uh, I beat the second Icelander. And then, to be honest, we had booked a train home because we wanted to. The tournament was delayed a little bit. So we just sort of left it and went home. At that point, I didn't play the last round. Um, if I had been in contention for the top eight, I obviously would have stayed, found a way to um, stay with someone, work things out, but I wasn't, so I dropped and went home. Third of how I thought of it ended, to be honest, in that regard. So it wasn't a great weekend for me. I think I went 4-11 in total in the actual tournaments. Obviously, I did the sealed and the chaos and all that stuff, but I'm not counting that. In terms of the actual calling... And battle hardened. I think I went four. Um, is it four seven actually? Maybe four seven instead of four eleven. I think I went. 
anyway, my point is I lost considerably more games than I won, which is not great. Um, general feedback is, as always, you need to get reps. You need to get a lot of reps. You need to practice everything. If you don't have time to practice things, you're just going to have to go to this sort of event with the understanding that you're going for a social time rather than a victory time which is kind of what I went into this event with the plan of doing. Um, I obviously was still a bit annoyed that I didn't do better because I like to think of myself as a better player, but you can't really control that. Sometimes you are just not going to do very well. And I kind of resigned myself after my performance on the first day that it really wasn't my weekend. And I just focused on, you know, eating well, having drinks, you know, having fun, strolling around Utrecht, which is gorgeous, lovely location, would gladly go back to Utrecht. And the venue itself was like five minutes from the train station. It was fantastic. So generally, the, the event was quite good. Um, all right, so that's my tournament report. Let's talk then about calling feedback. And I'm going to put something up on the screen. Um, and we're going to talk through some of the results that came back. So I've started doing these unofficial um, calling feedback forms. Um, I did one for the judging at Madrid, but I thought it was really cool. So I've decided to do just sort of bigger, and broader ones after callings that happen and see what people want to say about them. Um, 25 responses is quite good. People who know anything about statistics, if there were 300 players and you got 25 to respond, that's actually quite a significant number. Yep, so you'll see um, people have answered this who um, aren't necessarily at the calling, but they you know, have an interest in answering the first few questions, which are kind of about advertising, promotion, and how well they thought it was promoted. Um, and that's kind of open to everyone. And then we ask questions specifically to people who come to the tournament. So you'll see you know, 18 people who played. One person doesn't want to say that's fine. Um, six people who didn't attend, right? So the first question was, uh, do you feel you were told with enough time, you know, details to attend, attend arrange attendance? Um, you know, quite a few of the people who responded, probably the people who didn't go have no opinion. You know, a decent chunk of people, about a third said, look, I was given enough. Um, you know, two people said, look, weren't given. And a few people did say, and I think this is fair, uh, that yes, but it would have been easier to come if we'd been given more notice. So roughly a third of respondents, you know, said no or said, look, it would be great if we knew sooner. A lot of people thought it was all right. And it'll be interesting to see if those people responded were from the Netherlands and whether people coming from further away thought there wasn't really enough notice given. Um, then we looked at, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about coverage and content surrounding it? Um, the event, advertising, social media, and engagement. Um, a lot of people, you know, up here were quite positive, but the average does seem to be quite low here. Um, I think a bit of this is going to be tied to backlash about there not being a stream. I know that Alex was doing quite a good job at content, so I wouldn't really lay this at his feet. I think he's doing a really good social media job. So I think when people are rating this quite lowly, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that ties into him. Um, also, as well, remember that this is a broad, broad brush. So people might not be happy with the level of advertising, for example, the amount of information that's going out, how they heard about the event, where things were posted, whether there was a stream, that kind of thing, um, rather than just, you know, social media engagement from the day. So, you know, Alex, if you're watching this, don't take this too harshly. Um, I think you did a really good job. I think there's probably some other things that need to be polished up. Uh, the lack of a stream was a big deal. So... I kind of left this a bit too open-ended, so unfortunately people have put in a load of sort of random results that don't really tie into what we actually want to talk about. Um, though there are some interesting ones here. Um, quite a few people said that because they were playing, 
or if they weren't attending the event, they would want a stream. But because they were, it didn't really affect them. And I think it's a good about a quarter or maybe almost half of people said it didn't really have an impact on their enjoyment um, of the event. So that's a fair fair piece of, of feedback to take, you know. Um, because I was playing, it didn't affect me. But a lot of people were, who weren't there were asking, could I have a stream? Um, I didn't miss the stream because I wasn't there. Um, I was playing in the main event, so it didn't really matter to me. But other people asked me for a stream. Um, so a lot of people are kind of saying, look, as a player in the event, my impact wasn't that affected. But I feel like participation from home didn't really help. And we can see that kind of reflected here as well. Um, you know, people were feeling disconnected from the event at the flow of the matchups because they couldn't see what was happening. We have people who were at the event, so they felt like there was less to play for as you didn't get as much publicity from not getting your name out there and your gameplay out there um you know a few other people this this was a question said that they thought they didn't get to understand the meta as well uh because they couldn't watch play-by-plays it's more just all oh, that deck won we don't know why it won uh we had one person who said that they had planned a watch party but they couldn't do it and they didn't realize there wasn't going to be a stream until the day which is kind of an indication that like setting expectations is quite important like if you're not going to stream, it's important to let people know that you're not going to stream before the event so that they can plan um, another way to get content or another way to participate or, for example, not set up a watch party, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I think that's probably a learning for LSS, which is that if you're not going to stream the calling, and obviously a lot of people would like you to, but there's cost factors, time factors, that kind of thing, um, then... You know, it's probably a good idea to let everyone know that you're not going to stream it so they don't make plans under the assumption that you will. Um, it is also just worth knowing, like, these two pieces of feedback from people who are going to be winning. You know, some people feel like without a stream, there's less to play for because you don't get your name in lights as much. Other people I do say that, you know, top tables are more relaxed because you're not under the bright lights of a stream. You don't have to worry about chat going crazy about some mistake you made, all this kind of thing. So the the one thing I wanted this question to illustrate, which I think it has done quite well, is that streaming is a bit of a mixed bag. A lot of people want the stream to see what is happening and to engage with the event, but it's definitely not uniform that streaming is liked um, or even desired because obviously some people do feel under pressure when they're on stream. Um, some people do, you know, like people who are actually at the event playing aren't watching the stream. So immediately you're taking sort of 400 people who are at the event out of the potential audience of the event. Um, and then suddenly who's going to watch it, right? So, you know, there are considerations as to reasons not to stream. I think communication that you're not going to stream is probably a good learning from here. So we can see a lot of people played in like Championship Battle, Calling, Battle Harden, Chaos Sealed, Team Sealed, all these kind of things. Um, we can see um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel like the event was run from a logistics standpoint? Majority of people rated 8 or higher, which I think is a good thumbs up to Tournament Center to get what you know they did a good job people felt the event was run really well i'm gonna have to turn this off just for a second because we are getting to the um actual written in responses and obviously i don't want to put them up word for word in case certain stories sound familiar or things like that um so this is the question if you had particularly good or bad experiences with the tournament please explain what happened below and how do you think it could be improved uh someone said there was a lack of flexibility due to train delays um i know two people who missed an event due to trains being delayed but 
that's a bit of a tricky one. You do have to start the event, but I guess if people are at the venue before anyone has touched any cards, then you should probably find a way to get them in. Uh, someone made a comment about rule sharks making a scene. I mean, there's, it's important to understand the distinction between a shark and someone who calls judges a lot, right? People can call judges a lot because a lot of things go wrong in games of flesh and blood. The distinction between someone who's sharking, as in, you know, sharking is a very narrow window. Sharking is trying to use the rules to make your opponent do things wrong in order to get an advantage or trying to basically make your opponent make a rules mistake in a way that you can then call a judge on them and the reason that's not allowed is it's against the spirit of the game because you're supposed to help your opponent hit their triggers pick their you know notice their um their triggers do all these kind of things and if you're not doing that because you think you can get an advantage um or you're to be honest the main thing is deliberately trying to make them miss it by rushing them or saying something that isn't true that kind of thing then that's against the spirit of the game right so that's why rule sharking is uh, uh, is not allowed just calling a judge a lot because things go wrong isn't rule sharking right and i think there was a lot of people calling judges a lot because a lot of things went wrong in this event I don't necessarily think we can call them all rule sharks. Um, the second point was head judge yelling at people for chatting casually during draft deck registration phase. Um, being reasonably lenient would be nice as there was no advantages to be gained. Yeah, I noticed this as well. So Tournament Center was running running, running this draft very, very strictly. Um, and I understand running it like in silence during the actual draft, right? But we had gone past the point when, um, you know, people were taking cards, right? All the cards were wrapped up. We were waiting for our packs to go to another table so they could register them. And we were just having a bit of a chat about, oh, this guy pulled a Marvel and all that kind of stuff. Um, killing time, waiting for it to go. And the judges came over and said, look, we can't, you can't talk, right? And it's like, well, what are we gaining here? And even when we're registering the decks for someone else, like, we shouldn't probably be talking. That's fine. But the second we've wrapped them up again and we're just sitting there waiting for ours to come back, like, there's nothing we can do to interfere with the draft. We're just talking crap because we're bored and we're humans so i don't know if it needs to be that strict um during that phase but you know tournament center have a standard they enforced it um whether or not you yell at someone for that i don't know i mean just you know i will say the the av was not great at the event so a lot of what the person who was doing the um rulings and stuff like that said was missed by a lot of players so if there was a note put out that we couldn't talk and things like that i think a lot of people might have missed it um First draft took a long time to get started. Could have been done more efficiently. Drafts are always going to take a long time to get started, but that's fair. Um, very hard to follow the round timer since screens were broken and not well visible. Um, the screen was there. It was by the table, but it was just one screen. It wasn't very big, so you couldn't see it from all over the room. So that's fair. Um, there was too little information of the European Championship battle. Um, I feel like that's a piece of feedback we've had um, on various things. Um, some people were told they were qualified for the Championship battle when they weren't. Other people weren't told they were qualified when they should have been, and they didn't really feel like they had a good amount of information on what it was well in advance or, you know, that it was happening at all. Um, so definitely, if you're going to do something like the Championship Battle, which I would fully recommend, it was a fantastic game and meta to watch, that you kind of give people a bit more notice that it is there. Um, two people were removed from the calling because they sat on the wrong seat. This is, of course, a mistake on their part, and they were compensated with free drafts. The reason was that Gem did not allow for manual override of the draft pod, which we have had issue with the past. Um, organizers couldn't delay the calling for 50 minutes for two people. 
but there needs to be some sort of way to fix this in gem i can't agree with this more um essentially what happened to these people is they sat in the wrong seat and the person whose seat they were sitting in had dropped so didn't come and say hey you're in my seat can you go and find yours and then they weren't in their seat so they were dropped from the tournament and then when they went to say hey the tournament isn't showing up in gem they were told hey the draft pods are already paired we can't put you in so you're gonna have to miss it so you've been there since eight o'clock you've been sitting around you think you're in your right seat you're not in your right seat and obviously the answer is just sit in the right seat but you can't be that you know you can't be that accurate with 300 people every time there either has to be a window at every tournament where they say are you in gem if you're not in gem now you need to come and see us right away or there needs to be a way to fix draft pods. Now, I've done my own bit of experimenting with Gem. As you know, I occasionally in sort of TO the events by local armories. I just set things up and run run events for the store. The store could do it themselves, but if I'm sitting at the table, it's easy enough to push a few buttons. And um, one of the things that I have noticed through experimenting with Gem is that it, it treats additions to draft pods very, very weirdly. So if I start off with, say, four participants, they're in one draft pod. If I add another four, they're added to that pod. Now, if I went up to 12, you would expect it to split them into two pods of six. It doesn't do that. It just makes a 12-man megapod. And if I add another four people, you would expect it to split those four people, uh, those 16 people, into two pods of eight. It doesn't. It makes one 16-man megapod. From what I have seen at Metapod... Um, from what I have seen, um, Gem just adds people to the last pod in the tournament rather than trying to figure out if they need to make a new pod. And it doesn't give you any way to directly edit the pods either via Gem. So you're basically stuck with these super pods, which means to add those two people back in, they would have had to actually repair the entire draft to which they've already started printing stuff. So you can understand why they didn't want to do it. But I will say to that extent that Gem needs to be fixed to allow a way to do this. Because, to be honest, even the draft I did at the Battle Hardened on day two got a bit scuffed. The first draft I was in started off with four people. We had three other people added in, so we were then a seven-man draft. But the pairings for the draft were really, really weird. Firstly, they had to be done manually or, or something. But the draft basically paired two versus four, uh, six versus seven, and five versus... Sorry, six versus five, and seven versus eight. And seat one got the bye because we were a seven-man pod. So you had people being paired against people they were sitting next to in the draft, which means the person that you had the most influence over as to whether or not they got a good deck was also your round one opponent, which, if you know anything about draft, isn't what's supposed to happen. So it was a very, very weird experience for me. And I said to the TOs, you know, what's happening? You guys know this is wrong. You've paired drafts before, right? Um, and they're like, well, Gem's done it, so we're just going to go with it. And I understand that, but I also think, you've paired drafts before right you know how this is supposed to work so you know there needs to be a better process for adding people to draft pods if we want draft to be a really big format that happens in three or four hundred person events where things can go wrong um so i think that's perfectly fair and that fixes people showing up late people not being in the right place um you know there needs to be a way to solve that um Next piece of feedback is that communication about rules for different side events was a bit of a letdown. Um, there was a sheet which just said what side events were available, but there wasn't a sheet that also told you what those side events entailed, right? So you would sign up for Team Sealed and you'd pay, but you wouldn't be told how many boosters you were getting unless you asked, um, or what the rules are on deck building or sharing cards between team members. 
um someone said like you know for example berserker classic constructed would suggest a different format to normal cc but actually um it's not it's just cc with double prize tickets so you're there assuming that you need to make some changes to your decks you bring extra cards and it turns out it's just a bit of extra prize tickets i think this is perfectly fair um i think a sheet a fact sheet explaining what exactly these specific um events entail i know certainly for the chaos sealed there was a bit of confusion as to whether or not you had to you could choose a weapon and a hero or just a hero and the weapon they came with um so they came in pairs or separately um whether stuff like they said your next brute attack gets plus three applies to everything you know there was lots of different things going on in that rule set that people weren't necessarily as aware of um this person has just posted a nice long note about how they don't think that fab as a game is designed in a way that draft can be a competitive format um most pods being dominated by super strong decks left people with a lot of a lack of agency in the draft um passing and reading signals is borderline pointless when certain packs have four or five cards for one and the next pack has no playables for the same class um the first draft of course in a big tournament which i kind of said earlier in my tournament report dictates your entire outcome of your tournament um so if you lose for example the first two games in the draft you're very unlikely to make the day two of a tournament um also the impact of dice rolls on who is going to win for example in the five mirror there's a lot of valuable feedback here i think we're going to talk about draft in detail on the next episode especially uprising draft i don't want to go into it now because we're already on 44 minutes um you know the last person just said i would certainly attend a calling again so you know I think that's a perfectly valid piece of feedback. Um, let's open this up again because I don't think there's anything more sensitive in here. We can see on a scale of 1 to 10, people are okay-ish with the prizes, but not like super okay with the prizes. Like we're kind of hit, hovering here as an average of 5 to 6, maybe 7 is the average here. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to sit down and do the median, but I think it is a, probably about 6 or 7. So people are in, are in general positive about prizing, but there is still room to improve. Um, general feedback, we can read it here. More tickets, only side events gave them. Um, this is true. So unlike other callings I've been to, the Battle Harden did not award prize tickets, probably to avoid that last minute rush on the prize wall that happens when the Battle Harden gives out tickets. But it did mean that if you came for the European Championship, the calling and the Battle Hardened, you didn't actually get any prize tickets. So all of those dragon mats, all of the cold foil frostbites, etc., etc were just off the table you just couldn't get them unless you dropped out and played in drafts and things like that which you weren't going to do so if you were a contender for those events i mean yeah you're winning something else but you don't really have an opportunity to win prize cards which i think you know is a bit sad for people who don't make the top eight right and that's definitely the feedback here an increase in prizes for people who finish 8 to 16th in the main event 32nd and 9th getting the same prize money doesn't seem fair i mean that's just the gradient right um it's a you know it's hard to spend that much money to give 32 people in an event some sort of prize money um you know you could give you know making top 32 in, a, in an event that big is hard anyway so getting something nice to walk away from it um is a good thing i can understand if you were ninth you're gonna be a bit salty that 32nd got the same but i guess you've all waded through a couple hundred people to get there so you do both deserve i would say quite a good prize um you know 
it's a bit tricky, especially because a lot of the people in this bracket will be on the same score as well. So really, we've got to look at this bracket and say, how many people are on the same score? Because obviously, if we both finish like 4-2, but I, because of my tiebreakers, end up ninth and you end up 32nd, do you really deserve more money than me? Or are we just both on the same score and we should get the same thing, right? Um, someone said not having a promo for attendance is very upsetting. Um, a top Cut got prizes. But if you finish something like the Battle Harden in the top 30 out of 200, you actually get nothing. I think that's a problem with the Battle Harden not awarding prize tickets this time, is that, you know, when you finish the Battle Hardened, unless you basically come top eight, you don't get prizes. So you can play all day. You've spent 50 euro on participation. You don't get a promo. You don't really get anything. That can feel a bit bad. Um, someone said they like the Cold Force Spectral and Frostbite. They'd like to see more stuff like that. I would agree. Making cool tokens and things like that for showing up is really good. Um, tickets in the Battle Harden for people who get like X1 or X2 score um, to give people a reason to keep playing after they tank the first draft. Um, more participation promos and things like that. Um, yeah, just Battle Harden prizes. You're out of prizes if you lose one game because you can't get to the top eight. Everyone who's on an X1 record should get something. I think I can agree with that. Just the idea of giving out like a special promo to everyone who gets an X1 record is quite nice. Um, it sometimes doesn't feel worth it to play in these tournaments unless you can top eight. Um, the tickets need to be get easy to get without paying 10 euro for a draft. Um, basically, the person's just saying, look, you have to pay for side events. Um to get tickets you can't get them from the main event there does have to be a way to encourage people to do side events you know paying money getting tickets is a good way to do that um but i do agree with the people who are saying not having a prize for like top 16 32 in the battle hardened um is a bit upsetting um on a scale of one to ten how would you rate the judging at the event again you can see here the median is like eight or nine people were very positive and again so just like with the um you know, just like with the other feedback, I'm just going to turn this off for a bit. Um, when it comes to like good or bad experiences and drafting and stuff, the prize thing I didn't mind so much because it's just prizing, right? But with the drug judge calls and stuff like that, I do like to filter it through myself rather than just having it on the screen because I don't necessarily want people to feel like these surveys are like a vehicle for them to blame judges, attack judges and things like that. If I see something really negative, I'm probably not going to say it, you know, so... There's a reason I'm taking certain bits off the screen. I know it's a bit frustrating for you guys who like to read, um, but I think that's kind of important. Um, um, some bad judge bad calls, still some bad judge calls, still some people uncertain about the rules. So that makes sense. Judge calls were fine. The judges starting really slowly and not being able to talk during points um, breaks freaked this person out. Um, People thought there were a lot of inconsistent judging, specifically one this person draws to notice a point where time has been called and his opponent in front of the judge who was sitting there asked him if he wanted to scoop. Um, the head judge was called and he was only issued a warning, um, which is inconsistent with the rules. So the guy clearly thinks the guy should have been given a game loss. The rules do say that if after time is called, you ask for a concession, you are given a game loss or worse. Um, though I do think tone is kind of important here. Um, if the guy said it in a way that could be construed sort of as a joke or was a bit more relaxed or casual, um, then obviously he wouldn't necessarily get as big a punishment. But, you know, inconsistent rulings is always a bit of a challenge. 
someone said people got worse punishments for talking during jet registration during the draft. So people being punished for talking during deck reg registration. Yeah, I think that's the thing that people weren't really expecting in terms of the event being so strict, which, you know, is fine enough. Um, everything went smooth. Judges were great when I called them. Cool. Judges were clear and didn't didn't hesitate to ask more experienced judges for feedback. So again, as I said before, the judge feedback is always going to be quite positive. Um, you know, people like to say good things about their judges. This purpose of this section is not to flame judges. It's to talk about specific issues that happened so that we can, um, you know, so that we can talk about where judges can improve. Um, this guy thought the judging was really good, but when they asked random judges about tournament logistics, the judge didn't know and couldn't go and find out. So that's just um, a note that judges probably need to have a better briefing on tournament logistics so they can give people more help. They are really the frontline point of contact for things that are happening on the floor in terms of do I need to go somewhere, where are my seatings, that kind of thing. So the judges should have more awareness of that. Um, judges were good. Internal judge communication would be better. So apparently people were getting different rules from different judges. Um, one said, oh, yeah, you can go to the bathroom right now. And the other one said, no, you can't. Um, during Team Sealed, two different people said you could sideboard differently. So there just need to be a bit more of internal um, judge communication so that there's uniformity that will come with time. Um, one player said he witnessed a judge giving advice to another player. I mean, that's a pretty big breach. I think if you see that kind of thing, you do need to report it to the head judge. Obviously, judges aren't supposed to actually advise players on gameplay. They are there to advise on the rules. Um, right, let's get back into the document. So if you've attended a previous high-level event, how would you say the judging compares? The majority of people said the same. Roughly the same number of people said worse or better, but we have much better and better. So people are clearly improving in judging um, a little bit, um, say from calling Madrid, which is exactly what to be expected. Um, then we are sort of about the uprising draft format, which we'll come back to in the next episode. Um, a lot of people did say they just feel like Fi is the best deck. Uh, half did say they say it feels balanced. I think there's a lot still to be explored in terms of draft strategy. I don't necessarily know that forcing Fi is like the right decision to win every draft. There can be a lot of problems if everyone does that. But, um, you know, clearly he has the top slot as the best deck. But I will remind you that in the Tales of Aria meta, you know, we thought Old Him Fatigue was the best deck for a long time. And ultimately, you know, it ended up being uh, Lexi being very good. You know, Briar still being very good. You know, there were always polarizing thoughts. Um, then we have, of course, feedback on the Chaos Shapeshifter. Um, again, I was just kind of testing my theory here. Do you feel like fatigue and arcane damage are the main ways to win? Or do you feel there's other ways? A few people would say there are other ways to win. Ignore this because I shouldn't have included did not play. I took that option off after a while because I realized why am I including this option here? Um, and a few people did agree with me. So I think there is a conclusion here to a certain extent that this is a, pro a problem in Chaos Shapeshifter from people I've talked to on the event and from this. Um, and then I just want to feedback on the Team Sealed event. Um, everyone's like, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, this is great. Um, more team events. Team events are fantastic. Would love to play Classic Constructed team. Well, there will be Team Classic Constructed events happening at your national championships from what I've seen as side events. So if you don't make day two of your national championship, 
you can play a team classic constructed or team blitz um i think the two pieces of value relative feedback here is that someone said that hp1 really wasn't good for team sealed because you didn't feel like you get enough cards so perhaps they need to do a full box sealed for history pack one because i think it was only 24 packs and not uh 36 so maybe it needs to be a full box give you more chance to build a deck and the other thing is that some they the feedback was that this person feels like it needs to be easier to find people if you haven't got a team um i agree with that there should definitely be like a meeting zone or a list preferably just like a meeting zone like if you don't have a teammate but you would like to play in this event please come to x area of the hall where we will have people who do not have teams meeting up and sort of putting people together i think that sounds really good um and i think that would be a really good idea so there you go there's the feedback from the calling in utrecht i'll be doing this again for the next calling i think this is the calling either in uh, america or in taiwan i think this is just a really interesting thing to do as long as i like my main thing was do people want to do this is it going to be worth anything to them? Is it going to be interesting? Uh, and I think the conclusion that I have from that is yes. Um, people seem to have, you know, filled out this. 25 is a decent number for this kind of survey. Um, it means that, you know, if we think about 18 people who went to the event responded, if, you know, 200 people were at the event, that means I got 10% of respondents, which is actually a number I'm quite comfortable with drawing some conclusions from. Um, as someone who does statistics, that is a number I'm quite comfortable drawing conclusions from. Um, so that's the end of this episode. Obviously, I hope you've enjoyed these discussions. As always, if you are still listening, then you do at least owe me a like and subscribe on the video because you are clearly a fan. Um, and, you know, next one will be coming out next week. I'm going to try and go back to the weekly schedule on these episodes. I always do have things to talk about. Um, I have just been quite busy recently. So, you know, if you are one of my regular listeners and you wonder why I've been quiet, I think I've explained various things that have been going on um, and you will be getting more regular episodes coming through from me soon. So just don't lose heart or lose faith. I am still here. I'm still enjoying the game. If a little bit burnt out, but you know, not completely. Um, and I will ensure that I am still one of your primary sources for flesh and blood content. Even if I'm not, you know, casting an event or, you know, going to every calling next year, I will be covering them all and I will be talking about what we learn about them and what is going on. So stay safe, stay lovely. I will talk to all of you very soon.